listening to the Fitness Matters Podcast with Paula B. And this is episode number 75. Get your goal conversations. Hello, hello, my friends. Welcome to another episode of the Fitness Matters Podcast, where every week we talk about the fitness matters that matter to you. I am your host, Paula B., your best middle-aged fitness friend. And today, today, I got to be honest, it's not entirely a conversation. It really is still just a podcast of me talking, but I didn't really know what else to call it. So, so there you go. This is how I name things sometimes. I just, I just decide off the top of my head to call it a conversation, even though it's really just a a monologue. But you guys, here's the reason why this is kind of a special bonus for you. Every single week in my Get Your Goal group, actually, let me back up. Every single week here on the podcast, I invite you to join the Get Your Goal group at the very end of the podcast. And this week, I'm actually literally inviting you to the kind of conversation that we have in the Get Your Goal group every week. Every week in the Get Your Goal group on Mondays, I host a Monday meeting where we start off with what is essentially a podcast where I talk about a topic and it sparks a conversation, hence the title of today's episode, where everybody in the group joining in on the Zoom meeting has the chance to either talk about exactly what we've talked about or ask questions or get their own coaching or, or whatever. We do end up having conversations where other people join in and we can all talk to one another. But each week I do start off with I call it in my mind, I call it a mini podcast, except it's not really that mini. It ends up being what is essentially an entire podcast, hence today's entire podcast that had I not invited you into the goal group, you wouldn't have heard otherwise. This, my friends, is the kind of work that is essential to getting your goal. And I'm really, really excited to share it with you today. So please listen and enjoy. Good morning. Hello, hello. Let me let everybody in. Got lots of us joining. Hello, hello. All right. I think that is everybody joining for right now. Nope, got more. (laughs) Always. (laughs) All right, joining. Everybody can see me and hear me. We're all good. Excellent. Got some more coming in. I love to see everybody who's able to be here on Monday mornings, which is not always morning for everybody. I know for some of you it's afternoon and later and all kinds of stuff, but thank you for all being here. This one's exciting. I have I have something fun to talk about today. Um, we are talking about butts and parentheses. <laughs> I know, you're all like, all right, that means nothing to me yet. I know, this is how this works. But here's the thing about butts and parentheses. Let me let some more people in. I was thinking about this a lot, really specifically this weekend. Now, I have an old episode of the podcast called The Big Butt, which is one of my absolute favorite episodes, (laughs) partially just because that title is so funny to me. Like, like there's just, there's a lot of, there's a lot of ground there for jokes, for butt jokes, and I am not above butt jokes, just so you know. I have boys, and I have the humor of a teenage boy, and always have, and hopefully always will, because I just really think that's important to keep your sense of humor. Anyways, 
So I happen to love that episode. I think it's a really, really good and interesting one. It's it's very much about mindset, but it's something that I like even more than mindset. It's actually about the parsing out the language that we use when we talk to ourselves. And I was thinking really specifically about the big butt for a couple of reasons this weekend. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I shared with you guys, and I don't remember I don't remember the title of that particular episode that I shared with you, but I was talking really specifically about, I think it might have been the feeling angry episode where I was talking about some some thoughts that I had had about my sister. And also, I apologize really quickly. We're talking about my sister today. It's not the point. We're not really talking about grief. But I do always like to warn you guys, when I talk about my sister, and she is deceased, I do use words like dead and died. And sometimes it's not for everybody. I'm, I'm three years into this journey, and I'm a little bit more at ease with that kind of language. But if that is not where you are right now, that's totally okay. And I can, I mean, you can be careful of your own well-being in that, as far as that goes. But so I was thinking about that episode where I shared with you my journal entry, where I had really been trying to figure out what was going on with me in running. Like I had really been having a hard time, not with the running itself. Like I enjoy running, running still feels good, but I noticed that I had a lot of stuff going on in my head about how much I was enjoying my running and racing and thinking about running and thinking about being competitive. For me personally, running and being competitive is incredibly joyful. It is something that I do for fun. It's something that I do for pleasure. It's something that I do because I love it. Like I love running and racing. But what I discovered when I was journaling about it was that I was really having a lot of conflicted feelings about running that were very related to my sister being dead. And really specifically, the thought that I uncovered, and I have my my journal right here, the thought that I uncovered was, I can't enjoy running if Vicky is dead. And I followed that through to like, you know, this was, you know, the circumstance of the situation is that my sister is dead. But my thought was, I can't enjoy running if Vicky is dead. And the way I felt about that, because your thoughts create your feelings, the feeling that I had from that thought, really specifically, was sad and kind of guilty. Really specifically, guilty. And so the actions that I were taking from that guilt was lots of, and here's the thing about guilt. Guilt actually produces a lot of like back and forth, a lot of seesawing. The reason we have guilt is because we are trying to simultaneously hold two thoughts in our head that are at odds with each other. Like they're both allegedly true in our minds, but they are not, they can't, they can't combine in any way. They are oil and water. And so my, my guilt was from loving running, but not wanting to love running because I had this thought that I can't enjoy running if my sister is dead. So what I was doing is I was running either way too much or way too little. I wasn't recovering well. I wasn't creating a plan, even though I like to use a plan when I'm running. Like I just had a lot of seesawing actions that were producing for me this inability to either love running or not love running anymore because I couldn't really make up my mind. And what it was happening was that it was producing so much 
so much ill effect in my life. Like I wasn't recovering well. I was, again, I was running too much or too little. Like it produced the result for me that running was basically dead to me too. And so that was, that was rather shocking to discover that. I mean, I kind of, I knew something was going on, but I didn't really understand what was going on. And what I realized about that thought and those feelings and the results that I was creating for myself was that basically what I was telling myself was, I love running, but Vicky is dead. And here's the thing about the word, but in that sentence. When I was when I was in college, this is related. When I was in college, I had a philosophy class. And the professor in that philosophy class, he was one of the best professors I ever had. I just loved him. And I will never forget him explaining how the language we use affects what we're saying and how we're saying it. Like it 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 creates the result of how people hear it and how we hear it in our own brains. And he was talking about the word, but the word, but is incredibly powerful. You will start to notice it all the time. When I point this out to you, that anything in your sentence that comes after the word, but is more important than anything that came before it. So the example that he used, and I think I might've said this in the original podcast, it was the late eighties or the early nineties. I mean, this is so sexist, but I totally remember this example because it made it very clear what he was saying, but also it was a product of the times. What he was saying is that if there is a woman who is both rich and ugly, the way that you know which part of that is more important to you is how you say it in a sentence. Oh, this woman that I'm thinking of marrying is very rich, but she's ugly. Or this woman that I'm thinking of marrying is ugly, but she's rich. <laughs> and I hope you guys hear that the way, the way that my professor in the late 80s and the early 90s was trying to say it. The thing that comes after the but is the thing that is more important to your brain. When you start listening for the buts in your sentences to yourself, you will start to understand what is most important to you. This is going to be really crucial in your journaling when you notice and you won't necessarily notice it because here's the thing. Sometimes, I mean, like my in my original journal entry, what I said was, I can't enjoy running if Vicky's dead. So that doesn't really have a but in that sentence. Like it doesn't, it doesn't fall into that category. And so this is why it can be important to kind of rephrase things for yourself. Sometimes kind of play around with the language and with the words you are using to really understand what it is that you're saying to yourself. What I was saying to myself is, I love running, but Vicky is dead. And that was the most important part that I felt like her being dead was more important than running and racing. Now, the reason that I was thinking about this really specifically is that I had a race this weekend for the first time in over a year. It was very exciting. I stood at the starting line and I made it to the finishing line of a running race. And I haven't done that since last February 29th last year was the last race before everything shut down. And so coming up to this over the past couple of weeks, I've really been doing a lot of thinking about this, like really, really doing a lot of thinking about how I feel about running and racing 
and my sister being dead because, because I knew from my past experiences of the last three years that basically every single finish line has felt very bittersweet. It has felt very difficult because of this thought that honestly, I just recently discovered. It's, it's amazing how much it's been affecting my life, but I had just recently discovered it that I love running and racing, but my sister is dead. So coming up to this race, I kept thinking to myself, how do I want to feel? Like, how is it that I want to think about this? Now that I know that that thought is in my head, what do I want to think about running and racing and my sister? And how can I enjoy myself in a way that I want to and be acknowledging of this thought that I have? And do I want to change it? How do I feel about that thought? And the other thing that my professor told us about in college was that the word and is exactly what it sounds like. It's an equalizer. It means that both things in the sentence hold equal weight. And so I kept thinking to myself that what I'd like to think is that I love running and racing and Vicky's dead. Like both of them felt factually true to me. And this was the other thing that I kind of, I'm going to parse out a little bit more in just a little bit here. Uh, Clearly, factually true is the fact that my sister is dead. And it's not a fact, actually, that I love running and racing. And this this is totally to the aside, but it's something that I'd really like to address because it's something that we really think to ourselves when we say something like, I love tomatoes. It sounds like a fact, right? Like you think you love tomatoes, but it's still just an opinion. Even the things that we hold very dear, like loving tomatoes or loving cats or disliking whatever it is that we dislike, we really think that that is a true statement. But when you like or dislike something, I mean, if you have ever, for example, when I was a kid, I hated tomatoes. Now, I love them. That means it's an opinion. If it can change, especially over time or even in an an instant, that means that it's not actually a fact. So it feels very factual that I love running and racing. It is a fact that my sister is dead. And so what I wanted, what I was really hoping to do was come to this, this feeling that they have equal weight, that it's totally okay that I love running and racing. It's totally okay that my sister is dead. I love running and racing and Vicky is dead. And both of those things are fine. So I really practiced that. Like I've spent the last, well, we found out for sure that this race, because this race was actually planned for February and then it got postponed to March and then it got postponed to April. So I've been kind of thinking about this at least a little bit for uh, over a month now at this point, even before I had discovered that, that really specific thought in my head a couple of weeks ago. But so the last like week or two, I've really been thinking, you know, does this sound believable to have the word and in that sentence to be able to give both of them equal weight? And I was, I was really practicing it and I was thinking about, you know, is this how I want to feel? And I had gotten to the point where it felt very believable to, to have them both have equal weight with me, to say and for both of them. And then yesterday, I was running and I was racing and I felt amazing. <laughs> okay, I felt amazing right up until I fell. <laughs> so bummed. You guys, I have to tell you, okay. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna use the clean version of, of this. But so I'm running and it's a trail race. So it's I'm, I'm climbing and I'm descending and in some of it's very, very technical. There's lots of rocks, lots of dirt, lots of lots of everything. Lots of people on the trail too, actually. So what happened was I was descending down to this waterfall that I love. I run on this trail all the time. Like absolutely love this trail. I know it like the back of my hand. I know I knew exactly where I was throughout this whole race. It was just, it was beautiful. It was so perfect. But so I was coming down this rather steep part of the trail and this really nice man was coming up the trail and so he stepped over to the side and said good morning and i was like oh good morning thank you i totally appreciate that and as i you know i looked down to see what was going on and then i noticed that his companion had stepped off to the other side of the trail and she also said good morning which is so friendly i love this i mean this is the thing that i love about trail racing and running is that everybody says good morning and it was super nice and so I made the mistake because I hadn't seen her when I started the descent of looking right into her eyes and saying good morning. And as I did that, my foot stepped on a rock and whoop, went right out from underneath me, fell right on my butt, which is totally appropriate for today's conversation. <laughs> And I thought about it after. Okay, actually, let me, let me tell you the part. So, so I fell on my butt and I'm screaming, F, 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 F. Just like, like totally. This was my natural response was to start swearing like a sailor. I'm screaming this at the top of my lungs because I can feel myself going down. And I'm like, oh, this is not good. <laughs> so I've just very pleasantly said good morning to this woman. And then I'm screaming F-bombs. So I'm sitting on my butt like totally in shock. And I'm like, I'm so sorry for all the swearing because there's so many people around. I'm like, I'm so sorry for all the swearing. And then I realized that I'm in a lot of pain and I'm like, F again, because <laughs> it hurt. <laughs> so I'm like, the girl who was right behind me, who was like chasing me down the hill, of course she passed me and I was kind of bummed about that. But she stopped actually, she's like, oh my gosh, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, 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 I'm totally fine, totally fine. So, you know, I'm getting up and I'm like trying to kind of get some assessment here as to what's going on and I'm covered in mud. I mean, like my whole backside, of course, covered in mud. And I'm like, okay, you know, I can move, nothing's broken, this is all good. I mean, really, if there is a part of my body that was well equipped to fall on, it's definitely my butt. I've got plenty of muscles back there, plenty of padding. Like, it's, it was a good fall. I didn't break anything, I didn't land on my knees or anything like that. So, so I was good. You know, I get up and I'm starting to move again. I'm apologizing for all the swearing to all the people around. Thankfully, no children. It was all adults. Very grateful for that. And I kind of get moving again. In this particular part of the trail, it happens to be like there was the steep descent and then we cross a bridge at the waterfall and then there's a kind of a steep rise back out of it. So I had plenty of time to like walk and move because I wasn't going to start running again until I could really make sure that I was okay. So totally okay. And to go ahead and actually just finish this part of the story and then we'll get back to talking about thoughts and stuff. I crossed the finish line and my husband was running and racing yesterday as well. He ended up coming in fifth place. He did great. It was very exciting. I come running across the finish line and the first words out of my mouth to my husband are, <laughs> I didn't just shh my pants, it's mud. <laughs> because I really, really needed him to know that it was only mud. <laughs> because it was all down my leg. I mean, it looked, it looked quite bad. It really did. <laughs> and I know the whole time I was running, anybody who was behind me was kind of wondering, like, what happened there? <laughs> so the other 
remember the other thing that came out of my mouth almost immediately after crossing the finish line because, oh my gosh, I had such a good day, such a good day. Like I felt really strong the entire day. I felt really good about the race. It was, it was a well-managed, like mind-managed race. I was able to push exactly what I wanted to push. I let people pass me on the downhills because I'm slower on downhills, but I am such a good climber. I passed on the last ascent. There's like I don't know, almost a thousand feet of climbing in the last mile. And I passed three people and I knew I would because I'm a good climber. And so I felt just exactly like I wanted to feel. And I crossed the finish line and I had predicted for the day that it was going to take me a little over two hours. And I crossed the finish line in an hour 45. So I was thrilled. Like I was thrilled with my day, with how I felt, with everything about it. And as soon as I you know, assured my husband that it was mud on me, I said, Vicky's dead, but I love running and racing. And he kind of looked at me, because he and I had talked about this. Like, this wasn't just a random <laughs> thought that I threw at him. He and I had been talking about, about the word but and how I wanted to feel about running and racing and how I wanted to feel about everything. And so when I said that to him, he was like, yeah, that's awesome. Like, that's such a good feeling. And I kept thinking about that yesterday, and I keep thinking about it this morning. Because this morning... In hindsight, my brain really wants to offer it to me the other way around. It really does. Like my brain is, because it's been practicing this for so many years, that of course you love running and racing, but, but Paula, Vicky's dead. Maybe you should go ahead and still be sad that, that she's dead and that, that takes away from running and racing. So I've been practicing over and over this thought that I want to think. I genuinely want to think, not just Vicky's dead, but I love running and racing, but actually this other thing that I was thinking while I was running, Vicky really wants this for me. Now, I don't know what you believe. I don't even necessarily know what I believe. Let's be honest. <laughs> I have lots of thoughts about the afterlife, what happens, all of those kinds of things. And I'm certainly not going to tell you what to believe, but here was something that I was thinking that made me feel good when I was having the pleasure of feeling competitive, of feeling really good about running and really good about being in nature and really good about using my body, all those things that I love so much about running, I thought about what, what that does for my memory of my sister, that it feels like an honor to her. And so I kept thinking about about being sad versus being happy and being honoring versus being sad. And I got to be honest that there's still a lot more there to journal for me because it still feels kind of like something I haven't practiced, honestly, is, is really what it comes down to. I haven't practiced this new thought that the things that I do that bring me pleasure are in honor of her. So, so I've been thinking a lot this morning about, about which way my brain wants to go. My brain wants to offer me that I, I can certainly be sad. I absolutely can. Or, or I can continue to practice the, the particular phrase of Vicky's dead, but I love running and racing. And so I've been thinking a lot about that but. And I've been thinking a lot about how I have for so many years, like literally since the late 80s, the early 90s, been 
thinking that that statement is really true, that everything that comes after the but is more important. It has more weight. And then I was thinking about something that I hear somewhat frequently from lots of different comments. And I, I don't know that I read it really specifically today, but I'm quite certain that I've read it within the past couple of days. I hear, and I'm going to say you, but it's not necessarily you specifically. You, you all, the royal you. I hear you saying things like, I overate today, but I'm not going to beat myself up about it. And I happen to know when I read that comment that you are absolutely beating yourself up about it. <laughs> that, that the thing that came after the but in that sentence really wasn't more true. It didn't hold more weight. It's not more important. And that's what I was coming up with today when I was really parsing through the buts that we have and how that, how that felt so powerful for me in my particular instance and how when I see these comments that you guys will make or these statements, these posts that you make about something happened, but I'm not going to beat myself up. And I wonder, I started wondering what, what difference there is. And I was trying to decide if it was the difference between like facts versus opinions. I mean, in, in the really specific case of my sister being dead, that is a fact. But here's what I came up with. But here's what I came up with. <laughs> like I said, you're going to start noticing that word everywhere. Everywhere. Especially when I pointed out to you. But everywhere. Vicky is dead is a factual statement. It absolutely is. But when I say that, if you didn't know my sister, slash if you didn't know me, because I, I know that you all have some feeling about my sister because I talk about her so much and or because of your own feelings about your own sisters and therefore you have your own thoughts. But here's the thing. The statement that Vicky is dead actually holds no weight whatsoever. It really doesn't. It's a, it's a statement of fact. It is actually completely neutral. It is simply a fact in the way that most things aren't. And here's what is actually important to me in that sentence. It's the thing in the parentheses that I'm not saying, but it feels very true to me. When I say Vicky is dead, in my mind what I'm hearing is, and I'm sad about that. That can be, I mean, obviously it's relatively implied for lots of people. I mean, if you've ever known anybody who's ever died, you understand that we, we all feel sad when somebody dies. Like that's, that feels like part of death is to be sad about death. And that's why when I said that statement, you know, Vicky is dead, but I feel great about running and racing. You all understood that the reason why that first part felt kind of difficult to overcome was the part in the parentheses. So when somebody says something like, I overate, but I'm not going to beat myself up, the even more important part, even more important than the thing behind the butt, because the thing behind the butt, both of them, both parts of that sentence, I think you can understand are actually opinions. I know some of you are going to have a little bit more difficult part, part with the, the I overate. That sounds like a fact. But overate is an opinion. Overate has no, no actual factual validity to it. It's an opinion of something that happened. I ate X number of calories 
is a fact. But what you would hear, the parentheses, even if you were saying, I ate X number of calories, you'd hear in the parentheses there, I overate. I ate more than I wanted to. And that's bad, and that's terrible, and that's no good, and that's awful, <laughs> and I'm a bad person because of it, and all of that other self-judgment stuff. By the time we have used the word, I overate, we're already judging ourselves. We're already beating ourselves up. So then, when you get to the second half of the sentence, but I'm not going to beat myself up, it sounds like it should have more weight because it's behind the butt. What's the problem? with that being behind the butt when we know that frequently that's not actually what's going to happen. That we are already beating ourselves up. You guys, this is my favorite thing that I just realized. Well, actually I didn't just realize this, but I just noticed it about this particular sentence. What happens in the middle of this sentence is not just the but, but a changing of tenses. I overate happened in the past, but I'm not going to beat myself up is in the future. And let me tell you something about your brain. Your brain does not understand the future. Your logical brain does, your upper brain, the prefrontal cortex absolutely understands the future, it's why it exists. But the part of your brain that drives your behavior, that drives what we feel, that drives pretty much everything, to be honest, it's driving the bus, you guys, it's driving the bus. That lower part of your brain has no concept of the future. So when this is, and this is something that I tell you guys all the time, when you say, I'm going to, your brain doesn't get it. Your brain's like, oh, that'll happen some other time. Your brain basically puts that in the to be looked at later file, which I know you all have that. It's called the junk drawer, and I put lots of things in there that I'm never going to look at later, right? This is what your brain does with future tense. Future tense means nothing to your brain. Your brain understands the past because something has already happened. It is, it is a fact that you already ate, just in general, you already ate. And what happens right now is very factual to your brain also. It's why I tell you guys to say, I am losing weight. I am, right in this minute, feels incredibly different. And I know you can literally feel that in your body, the difference between I am and I'm going to. I'm going to could happen at any point in time in the future. Even I'm not going to, I'm not going to beat myself up, could happen at any point in time in the future. Yes, the thing behind the butt holds lots of weight, unless the thing behind the butt means nothing to your brain. When you switch tenses to something in the future, I'm going to, it holds almost no weight at all to your brain until you can put it into the present tense. Listen to this sentence again. I overate, but I am not speaking unkindly to myself. Now, for me, this brought up an immediate feeling of guilt. There's an absolute clash there. Because I overate, I'm already judging myself. I'm already berating myself. I'm already not speaking nicely to myself. I am not speaking unkindly, I've just contradicted myself. I mean, it is trying to hold two opposing thoughts at the same time. That's why we never say that. That's why we never say, I am speaking kindly to myself 
right after we just haven't spoken kindly to ourselves, even if we use the word but there in the middle, because we can't. Your brain cannot hold two opposing thoughts at the same time. It has to choose one of them. Now, in this sense, sometimes, I'm going to say frequently, because we're used to it, because it's a thought we've had a million times before, because it's something that we are super, super, super practiced doing, the thing that ends up holding the most weight in that sentence, because we can't hold both of those thoughts at the same time, is the I overate. And then we're going to try to not beat ourselves up for it, but if we haven't practiced it and don't know how, and we're saying I'm not going to, you know, in the future, (laughs) beat myself up about it, it tends to kind of just wash away. We just don't do much with the second half of that sentence. So when you are noticing the things you say to yourself, the things that you are really looking for is this kind of parsing out of the exact words that you are using. This is actually my favorite part about being a coach. When I can read what you say, you know, on online or hear what you say to me when we are coaching, I can hear when you change tenses. I can hear when you have a but. I can hear sometimes when there's a parenthesis there. Listening for the buts and the parentheses and the changing tenses in your own journaling work is going to be something that is something, not just going to be, <laughs> not in the future. It is something that I encourage you to do right now. When you say something that sounds very factual, Vicki is dead, ask yourself what you mean by that. What else is there? What else is there behind that? Is there a but? Is there a should? Is there a parentheses? Is there a changing tense? Being aware of all of the different ways that we can talk to ourselves and all of the different ways that we can, honestly, I'm going to say fool ourselves. And I don't mean that like your brain is being sneaky. And I don't mean that like you're not smart enough to figure it out. I don't mean anything judgy about that at all. I mean that your brain is always seeking pleasure and avoiding pain. And therefore your brain is always going to try to offer you something that isn't painful. And sometimes not painful just means familiar. I mean, sometimes the thoughts that it offers you give you plenty of pain, but it's just very familiar. As we have these familiar thoughts, do your best to get really, really curious about them, to get really, really interested in what else it is that's behind that thought. What do you really mean when you are saying, I overate? What do you really mean when, I mean, even something, even something as innocuous as I love tomatoes. I mean, and this is actually kind of a fun place to start. Start with something that doesn't hold any emotional weight with you at all and start asking yourself really curious questions about that. Like, why do I believe I, I love tomatoes? What is that? What, what, what good is that doing me to believe that I love tomatoes? Why do I think I love tomatoes? And notice that your brain automatically goes to the past. Oh, well, you know, here in the past, like last week, I ate tomatoes and they were really sweet and really delicious. So therefore, I think that I love them. Notice why your brain offers you something as a truth and as a fact that that may or may not 
be truthful, may or may not be factual. When you can get really curious, which we did just talk about like yesterday on the podcast about being really curious about your thoughts, you will notice that there are buts, that there are parentheses, that there are changing tenses, that there are all kinds of nuances to the language that you are using with yourself that I'm going to say it hides the truth, but as we all know, very little of what we say to ourselves is truth. It's not about finding truth. It's simply about finding the feelings that it brings to you. When I was able to find the feelings that it brought to me, to have a parenthesis behind what I was saying about Vicky, or to have the word but in the middle of a sentence and to decide which way I wanted to say that sentence because they're the same exact words in slightly different order and I got a completely different feeling from both of those sentences. When you say, I overate but I'm not gonna beat myself up and you feel that little bit of, a little bit of tension of I know this isn't really true, I know this isn't really factual. I know this is two kind of opposing thoughts and I don't feel necessarily guilty about it, but I'm struggling with it. When you feel that tension in your body, there's a but, there's a parentheses, there's a changing tense, there's some other nuance in what you are saying that it's gonna be really important for you to find. And once you find it, you get to decide. And this is actually a topic for a whole nother day. But I know, I know that some of you are thinking to yourselves, Paula, you tell me all the time to feel my feelings. And now you're also telling me that you can change your thoughts and not be sad about your sister being dead. Why would you do that? Shouldn't you feel sad that your sister is dead? And that again, is a whole other topic. <laughs> it's, it's actually worthy of, of a long conversation like this. Because yes, I do encourage you to feel your feelings. And yes, I do encourage you to decide what you want to feel about everything. You don't have to feel anything ever, ever. You can, and I encourage you to feel it if you're going to feel it, but I also encourage you to decide for yourself what you'd like to feel. And that's where we come back to today's topic of when you feel that tension, you can absolutely feel it. You can feel that tension. You can try and hold two opposing thoughts. Help yourself to that. But, but I'm going to encourage you to notice it and make a decision about exactly what you want to feel. So, so you guys, talk to me about your butts. <laughs> tell me, tell me about your butts, please. <laughs> anything else that's on your mind. So are you totally loving this mindset work and you really want to do it like, you know, every day in order to get your goal? Then my friend, you need to join the Get Your Goal group. It is my personal and private, very interactive coaching and accountability group where every day we talk about your mindset and we get your goal. You can learn all about it at paulabfitness.com slash get dash your dash goal. I'll see you in the goal group.